I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Get away from her, you bitch! Well, let me finish the movie. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. Oh, so we'll see if anybody shows up. But uh, hey, did you uh, did you see the news that they put Rangers of the New Republic on uh, on hold? I saw that today, and I don't know how to feel about it. You know, well, I'm not surprised because it was supposed to start Cara Dune. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, but I had heard that they were thinking of replacing her with um, uh, with Harrison Dula, and and a lot of people were happy about that. And and I figured if they if they were able to do it with Rosario Dawson, you know, um, standing in for you know for the Ahsoka character, I'm sure they would find excellent casting for Hera. Yeah, but I think I think making that character Hera as opposed to Kara would mm-hmm. drastically change kind of the backstory and the direction of the stories they were going to tell. So, you know, I'm not hugely surprised that it went on hold because I bet they're back at the story block. Well, you know what? As long as, as long as Hera's them got being... a really rich backstory, so you mm-hmm. don't want to just like replace her with Kara, whose story is wildly different from hers. You would no, have definitely. to kind of retool the whole kind of direction of the show. And as long as I don't mind them putting it off, as long as it means that they're going to do it right, you know. Yeah, that that's that to me. I think is the bigger news in that is that they're not forcing production, and they, ha- they and it's the same thing with Obi Wan. I mean, Obi Wan, you know, was in development forever, um, right? Um, not active development, but in development forever, you know, because they were trying to break the story, and then I think. You know, they kind of looked at the at, at the Disney Plus stuff and where things are going, and then they got Filoni in like a year ago to kind of manage everything. And you know, I think right. it's just a, the timing finally was right, and they were able to figure out how to integrate it into the grander scheme of things. That's the other piece of news is that Filoni is, in fact, executive creative director at Lucasfilm. Yes. Oh, fantastic. how exciting was that news? Well, I kind of thought that it might be what was happening uh, when the announcements came out in December about all these new series, mm-hmm. you know, because suddenly Star Wars felt very uh, piloted, <laughs> you know, like we know what yeah, we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, and, and the way they all interconnected with each other, it was just like only Dave Filoni could manage that. He's the only guy at Star Wars who knows the stuff well enough to manage all that. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, let's see here. Okay, uh, I'm going to cut my pizza now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Peggy does her her rooms, and she'll be like folding laundry in the background and stuff. Yeah. I kind of love that. I, I I'm really loving. Yeah, I I I'm. I'm I love the concept of Clubhouse, and, and I think the possibilities for it are just fascinating. Well, it, you know, it's got the formality of a conference, but the casual use of, you know, folks, you know, working in their kitchen. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, all right. Well, if it's just the two of us, that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll use it as an episode of Sci-Fi Sunday, which needs content these days anyway. Sweet. And this this is actually the easier way to record with you, I think. So, yeah, this is a delight, dude. This is a delight. Plus, I can 
here's okay. Can I just tell you real quick? My problem with doing a podcast um, over the phone is that you didn't know when the other people person wanted to speak and when they didn't. But this is perfect. This is perfect. Well, for the most part, <laughs> much better. <laughs> All right. So um, you got my notes. So let's just uh, roll through it. And if you have anything to add, you know, like we'll we'll jump from there. But so the Bad Batch episode four cornered. Got it. Um, my very first reaction watching the show was the premise of the entire episode is that they're low on fuel and supplies. Right. Which totally caught me in all the wrong places because that was like some of the anti-Last Jedi sentiment was like, when has fuel been important in Star Wars ever? And now it's <laughs> like a regular thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> well, I get I got to tell you, it, it sort of hit home for me because, I mean, look, personally, I'm always low on fuel. You know, I only gas up when I'm, when I've been on, uh, you know, when the gas light's been on for a while. So I'm like, I hear you, boys. I hear you. Wait for the last minute and hope for the best. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things I started, I started asking a bunch of people when The Last Jedi came out and that complaint kept coming up. I was like, how much time have you actually spent in the Star Wars universe? Have you been around long enough to see people fuel up? Maybe not enough. You know, you've only been there like 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. People don't that's fuel true. up every couple hours. You know, they fuel up every few days. So we've only ever seen these folks leaving a base and heading somewhere. That's Have, true. I haven't really seen people on long journeys on the run for a long time struggling to get by. That's that's unique of the animated series and, and, uh, and The Last Jedi. <laughs> and, in fact, the only movie that they fuel up in is Solo, and that was, you know, because it was a plot point. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think that's one of the things, though. It's like what I really like about the animated series, and in that aspect, I did like Solo for that, that reason. Um, and I liked that – I don't like the implementation of it, but I liked that idea of it in The Last Jedi too. is that, you know, this is a real universe. right. <laughs> You know, yes. like, yes, there's magic in the force, but, you know, machines and vehicles run on something. So, you know, to me, it just it adds to that lived in universe feel and really kind of expands that that universe into feeling like someplace real. You know, you're absolutely right, because it wasn't until I feel it wasn't until the Clone Wars that we really got a feel for um the the dynamics of this universe, not just the social dynamics, but the underworld and how people uh, interact and how people, um, yeah, you know how 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 the world is run, uh, fuel costs and and you know and and how things are shipped and how people land in places and and you know pay storage fees or whatever. And 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 I know it might seem boring to people who aren't so into Star Wars. But to a nerd like me, who is fascinated by everything with the Star Wars universe, it, it, it really does fascinate me to see how these people interact on a day-to-day -day level. You know, what do they mm -hmm. do when they're off camera? Well, and even getting back to the original film, you know, when they were in, when they went to Mos Eisley, that's a spaceport, right? right. They, they dock in docking bays because... They need a place to land and, generally speaking, resupply and refuel. You know, like, yeah. there's a whole industry in the original series, you know, in the original film. It exists. It's right there. When they go to Yavin and they're getting ready, all the X-Wings are in a bay together. There's stuff plugged into the wings and stuff. What's it look like? Fuel lines. <laughs> you know, right. It's right. all there. And there's, there's whole yeah. crews taking care of the ships, you know, like. Um, so I always, I always just got such a negative rub on the people who were like, why are they low on fuel? That's such bullshit. Nobody ever runs out of fuel in Star Wars. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a story we haven't seen yet. I'm sorry we can't always explore the space magic aspect of it. <laughs> well, and, and as it's turning out, some of these characters that are just the low level you know, grunts of the world are some of the more interesting ones. In The Mandalorian, the girl who runs the, the docking bay and takes care of Grogu and Din Djarin's off running around doing whatever he does on planet, she's fucking cool. 
Oh yeah, you she's know? she's my she might be my new favorite character. She's like, you know what? It answers the question. While everyone's around saving the universe, what does say the lunch lady do? And and that kind of that kind of does it because she's just a regular, interesting workaday grunt with terrible hair who spends her off time drinking and gambling, and is a decent person. I, I love her. She's just a gas station attendant that we all needed. Right. Well, and and the other thing too is there are beautiful shades of gray in how the regular citizens are viewing the transitions of the government in these in these stories you know whether it's the clone wars or bad batch which is now post order 66 or mandalorian which is post new republic starting to form the general population especially on the outer rim and stuff they're kind of like you know same thing, different, different shade of gray, you know? You're, you're absolutely right, because even Luke Skywalker wasn't against the Empire until maybe 20 minutes into it. He says, <laughs> I have no love for the Empire myself, but he's also on his way to join the Academy until one afternoon, Obi-Wan's like, hey, Emperor bad, and he goes, oh, Empire bad? What? I didn't know that. All right, let me go ahead and suicide kill everybody. Like, he was literally radicalized in an afternoon. Well, I think you know. it's, 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 it's the typical lethargy of politics. Like, people don't want to be bothered with it. But Luke wanted to fly something more than a land speeder. So what's the avenue? Oh, I got to go join the Empire because that's where all the fleets are. Right. Until another opportunity is presented to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and that, so what that, we're that at for is- me, is kind of one of those things with Luke, man. Luke's, Luke's like super wishy-washy all the time. You know? Yeah, like, I think... Luke's problem is he's a slut for flying. That's it. He doesn't care. He'll just fly anywhere for anybody. For anybody. <laughs> My friends are in trouble. I got to fly. Yeah. I mean, even at the end of episode four, when Han Solo says, hey, you're pretty good. We could use another hand. If Luke hadn't met and fell in love with Leia, he would have easily joined Han Solo and become a smuggler. Right. And if Han Solo hadn't come back, who knows what Leia and Luke would have ended up doing. Oh, God. Hey, Yasmin, hi. Should we bring Yasmin up? Come up, come up, Yasmin. No, I think she's just listening. Uh, just passively. listening? Oh, okay. Well, she's well, here I'll, at my house helping my dad do some uh, computer stuff. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, it's good to see you, Yasmin. Yeah. Oh, no, she says she, she wants to come up and speak. Come on up, Yasmin, come on. Anyway, um... <laughs> Yeah, Luke, Luke, and Luke and Leia could have gone so many bad directions if Han hadn't come back. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. Hi, Yasmin. Welcome to the discussion. Hi. We're just—I didn't know it was going to be about Star Wars. It's very exciting. Oh yeah, Jordan and I are always talking Star Wars. <laughs> nice. It's our yeah, thing. we've been uh, listening in, uh, and um, we're going to be critiquing all your uh, points. <laughs> well there you go there you go um so the other thing that caught my attention jordan pretty quick in the episode was the planet they end up going to is called pantora yes which just is a little close to pandora right oh Um, my god you're right that occurred to me are they opening up pandora's box by landing here that was my big question so Wow, you know what? You're so deep because only thing I was thinking of was like, I should really pull out my old Pantera records and jam out to them. <laughs> no, your your thought was much better. <laughs> I did think the Pantera thing too, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think again one of the things I really love about these these animated series and the Mandalorian, um, and and Rogue One is kind of the expanding universe of planets and experiences we're getting within the universe. Um, you get to see so many new places. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and some of these new planets are quickly becoming some of my favorite planets. Uh, with, you know, with Rogue One, I was so excited that we went back to Yavin 4 because I love Yavin 4. But I was also delighted um, when they went to Jeddah, because I was I was fascinated. Jeddah is like a like a space Jerusalem, and, and it's so fascinating to sort of draw some of those parallels there. For me, it really drew me in. 
Yeah, and you had that epic shot of the giant like statue that had fallen in the in the sand out in the desert. Um, the yeah. Jedi statue. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. You know, it just, again, makes it all feel like it's a real lived in place, which I think really is building on what George Lucas was doing in those first films. Um, <clears throat> one of the aspects of the series that I really enjoy is that these clones were raised for war, raised to fight, and now they're living a normal life on the run, but a normal life. And when they, when they land and they think they can just intimidate the uh, the owner of the of the docking bay into just letting them be there, and he's like <laughs> <laughs> asking for a bribe. It shows how little real world experience these guys have, and how yeah. much they have to learn to survive. Can I can I just tell you something? You're absolutely right, and that was one of my favorite scenes because. Uh, Wrecker learns for the first time that he that he can't just smash his way through something. But instead of being annoyed, did you see how excited he was to learn about bribes and that they did it successfully? Right. <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, one of the things that I love most about this series is is that it explores a concept that was originally laid out in um, Karen Travis's uh, Republic Commando novels, which are now non-canonical. But, but in it, it explores a, um, a group of four um, Republic Commandos who are, are, in essence, children. Like in the beginning of the books, a Jedi senses a boy, and she goes, well, he's an eight-year-old boy. And then she turns to the corner, and she goes, oh, my God, it's a grown man, because they're, they're still so naive and young. They're trained killers, but they don't know how the world works, and it's essentially them trying to figure it out. Uh, only with Bad Batch, it's them trying to figure it out on their own. And, and I love, I love that concept. I think that that is just so fascinating and so well done with the show. Yeah, and the fact that they're trying to take care of a kid, like the last episode, I, I was saying that, like that whole idea that Hunter is kind of taking on this father figure role without any knowledge or experience of what a father figure is supposed to be. Um, and I liked how the other clone trooper who had left a long time ago was kind of like, yeah, you're in for a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But I got to tell you this, that's it's, it's delivered some of the sweetest moments. Like when Wrecker um, makes uh, the home for, uh, for the room for Omega. And she goes, I never had a room, my own room before. And then, and then they say, well, you know, you're a part of the squad now, too. And, and how Hunter's sort of learning to be, he, you could tell he really cares for this girl. It is so sweet, and it's so, so moving. Honestly, it's, it's almost like the failed 1980s sitcom My Two Dads, only less funny and more violent, which <laughs> is what I wanted from that sitcom in particular. <laughs> Well, speaking of violence, uh, one of the more violent uh, characters in this kind of new expanded Star Wars universe is Fennec Shand, played by Ming-Na Wen, uh, famously in The Mandalorian and soon to be on uh, The Book of Boba. Uh, And she has now transitioned also to animation. What do you think of uh, the reveal of Fennec Shand and, and the introduction of her to the animated series? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Ever since I saw the trailer for Bad Batch and I saw her uh, unique helmet, I said, Fennec Shan's going to be in this and I can't wait. So for me, I've just been counting down the days until we saw her because she was such a dynamic and fascinating character in The Mandalorian. And she's shaping up to be such an interesting, such an interesting, she was a villain there too until she, spoiler alert, transitioned into a temporary ally. But here she's starting off as a villain, and she's just as interesting here as she was there for me. Well, it's, it's fascinating because she's, she's drawing on a long line of bounty hunters that all of us fandom boys kind of have always kind of gotten, you know, the proverbial nerd hard on for. Um, <laughs> I mean, all we've ever needed is a glimpse of a bounty hunter to go, ooh, look at that character. He's amazing. You ain't lying. (laughs) Um, But she's, I I think, really interesting because we know 
she's not evil. Like we go into this already knowing she's not an evil person. She's kind of a necessity of the universe. You know, bounty hunters are just a, a factor of this universe and they do shady shit, but they have their own code, right? Like they live by their own code. And we know she lives by the code because that's why she's hanging out with Boba. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think bounty hunters have always been, look, Boba Fett barely did anything in, in, in the original uh, uh, trilogy. Right. But he's yep. still fascinating because he is, yes, he's a villain, but he's also kind of a gray character. I mean, here he's working for the Empire. Now he's working for Jabba the Hutt. I mean, the guy is just a guy who will do what needs to be done for, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a merc. So he could, look, he, he could just as easily have worked for the Rebellion. He's just fascinating that way, I think. You don't ever know what he's going to do. He's a wild card. Well, he's that classic... Um old west gun for hire you know like and I, I think we all enjoy those kind of morally ambiguous characters you know whose allegiances can be bought who's you know um you never know when they might turn on you you know and i think we all enjoy that quite a bit and and even han solo had a bit of that you know initially he was just a bad boy with a fast ship you know and you never knew if he was going to actually hand them over to the empire he was so frustrated with them all the time you know um in the end he comes back saves the day he proves that he's a hero at art but um but i think part of what made that first star wars movie work was that kind of like can this guy actually be trusted uh aspect of han solo which i think was was really cool and now that we got fennec shand in this animation are we gonna see her turn uh, eventually and protect um, our, our quote unquote heroes, or is she going to be like their big bad through the entire series? The way Thrawn was in Rebels, right? Boy, that's like, the question, isn't it? The mastermind who's on their tail the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's what I like the not knowing because it, it just it intrigues me all the more, you know, knowing that she can be decent, it, 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 it makes it more. I, I don't like villains that are all dark you know what i mean and i don't like i don't like heroes that are all light I, I like a nice gray area because that's where the questions lie that i find interesting well and that's what works so well again in the original trilogy was darth vader in the first movie was nothing but evil and that was really interesting but what really set people off and really made the original trilogy work in so many people's minds for so long was that transition and that surprise when he said, I am your father. Then instantly there was, well, if Luke's the good guy and Darth Vader's his dad, is he redeemable? Do we want him to be redeemable? You know, like that huge question mark came in all of a sudden. And I think that's what really sparked everybody's imagination with Empire. Totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, look, there's Whitney. Maybe she'll come up and talk with us. I don't know if she's watching the show or not. Hi, Whitney. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Jordan and I are talking about the Bad Batch and Star Wars in general. Hey, Whitney. I know you're one of us, so are you watching the Bad Batch? Uh, I have not started it yet. I watched the preview the other night. Uh, It looks pretty interesting. I think it would be fun to watch. I take it you guys are already watching it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode four dropped on Friday, so we're uh, we're kind of going through the notes on episode four, but talking about Star Wars in general as we talk about this new series. Oh, so is um, it a, a weekly drop then? Yeah, so it drops. Uh, it, it's taking the place of the Marvel Fridays, and and, gotcha. and it's Star Wars is now Fridays, and with Loki, Marvel's moving to Wednesdays. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So was that planned or was that a recent I, development? That was a recent development. Yeah, they made the announcement about Loki moving to Wednesdays uh, two weeks ago, two weeks into this new show. Um, so I think they realized when they launched the Bad Batch, like, oh, we're currently on a Friday release for both of these huge franchises. We probably need to shift things. Yeah. <laughs> One or the other. It's a smart move, though, because now it gives us a reason to go to Disney Plus multiple times a week 
for very specific reasons. And, and, and I can't wait until, you know, until they start releasing their other regular series. I mean, we're probably going to be going to Disney Plus five times a week specifically to see things, which is smart. <laughs> almost like they have a strategy. Yeah, it's almost as if it's a decades-long organization who's evilly planned out how to control our lives. <laughs> Thank God for it. I, I just love them. <laughs> you love me. <laughs> Give me your money. <laughs> <laughs> I have you now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no escape, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things I find really interesting about the Bad Batch is to see these like former warriors and their perspective on the transition of the universe from the Republic to the Empire, because they have kind of a unique perspective on it, right? Because they fought the war to try and save the Republic, and the Republic turned into the Empire on them, and now they're on the run, right? And they also have this sneaky suspicion that something's going to happen to their clone brothers, right? Um, But all around them, it seems like the masses are totally on board with the idea of the empire because, you know, they're, they're applauding in the streets and, and, you know, celebrating the parade of soldiers going by, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's very much like what would the world have looked like if the Nazis had won, you know, like. Right. And it's funny too, because yeah, you said it, Hunter points this out because Omega says, well, what's the difference? Or what's the big deal? And he says, well, it depends on what side you're on, you know? And, and and it's so fascinating, though, because the Empire, now you finally see the Empire's propaganda machine. Uh, you know, this chain code introduction and the guy who's trying to sell it and, and says, you know, bring in all of your um, former Republic currency and it will be exchanged for um, Imperial currency free of charge, which I love. It, it's so funny to see how they're putting a spin on it. Like, Hey, look, uh, we're going to force you to use our currency, but we're doing it for free. You're welcome folks. And to get it, you've got to give us your entire history and get this chain code, you know, mark of the beast where we can track you everywhere you go. Right. Which left me wondering, I don't think I'd ever heard of the chain code before. So I'm wondering if this is a new concept that they're retroactively putting into this, or has there been a previous mention of a chain code outside of the series. Uh, Mandalorian. Um, that's how Boba proves to, um, to Din Djarin that he is, in fact, who he says he is, that he didn't steal the, that armor, that it is his. He pops open the chain code and shows his history. Oh, wow. I must have missed that. Yeah. Yeah, go back and watch it because it's there. He pops it up on his, wrist, on his wrist display. A little orange hologram pops up with a bunch of characters and people have translated the characters because um, it's our bash, right? Yeah. And it, it's basically the, the genealogy of Boba Fett to Django Fett, uh, to Django Fett's father and on down the line. Oh my God. I'm going to have to go back and see that again and then translate it because I'm currently trying <laughs> to learn Arabesh, you know, in lieu of developing an actual life or getting a girlfriend or, you know, whatever. So it's going to be good. Hopefully I can do it cold. Jordan, you mean learning Arabesh isn't going to get you a girlfriend? Well, I like to think that it's going to get me the right type of girlfriend. So we'll see how it plays out at the next convention. There you go. Comic-Con in November. <laughs> hey, so what's the deal with that? I uh, I haven't really followed up. Uh, are you guys going? Are they doing the uh, entertainment passes again? Or what's what's up with that? Um, I, you know, I haven't even followed up on the ticketing for it because I'm not sure I want to be around that many stinky nerds so close to the COVID. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, I'm not, ah, I'm not stinky sure. Stinky nerds are the best. <laughs> stinky nerds are the best at a distance and over the phone. Well, the one thing that will be good is a, is a vast majority of the attendees will be wearing masks anyway. So, yeah. Oh, thank God. They should wear full body condoms, though, because let's be honest, I don't know what it is about nerdiness and a reluctance to bathe. And, and, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. I mean, maybe I'm the exception because I'm, well, look, I, I'm a little germaphobic, too. You know what I mean? I walk around in, in the Kleenex boxes and well, and I know what my it own is, urine Jordan, jars. They're, but, all in, 
they're they're all in cosplay, which for one is usually not very breathable. It's a bunch of non-breathable fabrics. But a lot of them are camping out all night in lines too, so they don't end up going back to their hotel room and they don't, you know, or back to, back home. They just keep going day after day after day because they're they're basically basically acting like the homeless and living on the streets of San Diego. Wow, good point. David, having been one of those people, there are ways to still smell good. You just have to be like a little gypsy and pack your little kit of, of wipes so you can do a hooker bath and your deodorant and your little <laughs> tiny toothbrush and tiny toothpaste. You, you can have hygiene and still sleep like a hobo. Well, many of us yeah, don't have very much experience as a hooker, so uh, fill us yeah, in. Yeah, right? I think... I think you know if you if you know the if you know the area well enough, like you know, you just go to the, all the restaurants and use their bathrooms and some of the hotels. Just sneak into the gym and like. <laughs> um, but I don't know. <laughs> okay, Yasmin. <laughs> the okay. ladies have this all planned out. They're like, I will not be stinky. Not <laughs> <laughs> new plan. We are renting. Yeah, yeah, no. To hold. No, no, no. Uh, I got it on lockdown. This is not my first rodeo. <laughs> we are renting Hall H to hold a hygiene symposium for all the nerds. And, and I really think we're just going to be doing uh, a service to the public in general. Yeah, we should get, uh, we should be sponsored by Lumi deodorant. And, uh, you know, th- th- that would That's be actually uh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a question for you, Jordan. A big por- portion of this episode that makes this episode work or not work is that, and I am asking you because you're a screenwriter and a storyteller, and I want to I hear your perspective on using this kind of tired old trope of the child wandering off. That was a bit of a pain. Um, look, I, I, I get it. A space pug, eight-year stormtrooper figure, and it's fascinating because space pugs are adorable, but... Uh, I don't think it uh, okay it's a tired trope yes but it worked in this instance only because she is so in awe of the world you know of, of the of the universe at large she's only ever seen Camino um so I think in this case it worked but I just hope they don't use it in further episodes you know what I mean how many times is she gonna wander off and and you know in, in, in awe if she doesn't Coruscant she's dead you know right, so right I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna wander back around to that topic again in a little bit, um, but my next question is: Is the most popular toy in the galaxy the stormtrooper doll? Because we've seen it in Rogue One, we've seen it in Mandalorian, we've seen it here. Like, they I'm keep with- they keep showing this like star trooper doll everywhere you go, which they do have them at Galaxy's Edge. I'm, I've seen them; they're there. <laughs> but like, is that um, the only toy that any kid in the galaxy wants to play David. with? Huh? It's part of the propaganda, David. You have to get to the youth first. Oh, oh good point. Good point. Get yeah, Whitney, fascinated Whitney, with stormtroopers. Yeah. Whitney has a good point because I think that in the Star Wars universe, the stormtrooper action figure is the Hitler youth knife of its time. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it's a very tangible uh, way for the ruling government to sort of get, you know, get its claws in. Or the little green army men? Yes. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't realize the U.S. had that too. Yeah, yeah. It goes every direction. <laughs> wow. Propaganda is not the purview of just the evil governments of the universe. It's every government in the universe. Okay. Well, you know what show I want then? I want a show, a madman like show, based on the propaganda team for the Empire. So it's almost like <clears throat> it's. It's Mad Men meets, I don't know, let's say Joseph Goebbels. And then, you know, we, we just get some evil dude trying to, trying to kick out, like, interesting imperial propaganda and sort of show. I think, okay, let's be honest. It'll be fascinating to no one but me, but I still, it's something I really want to my core. We should make that, Jordan. You could be, like, the head ad, ad exec and, uh, you know, kicking this out. David, oh you want to film this? I love it. I love it. We're going to smoke space cigarettes or death sticks, if you will, nonstop throughout the episode. Death sticks? You don't want death death sticks. I like the idea of merging the aesthetic of the 1960s Mad Men with the aesthetic of Star Wars. Like, I just think that's going to be brilliant. That'll be fantastic. Very clean lines, very sleek. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. 
I think it's bound to happen one way or the other. Because one thing Filoni likes to do, um, and, and you saw it in the Clone Wars, is pay homage in these stories to so many different types of films, different eras of films. Um, and, and I think we're going to see more and more of that as, as these series develop. Fennec Shand straight up killed the cops, Jordan. Yeah, that was a little, you know, I can tell you that took me by surprise when she turned back and she killed those bike cops. I said, Oh my God, it was yeah, very she dark. shot the one guy straight through his, windshield and he straight up died and slammed into the other one there's no way either of them survived like wow at all brutality in the animation look at this yeah you know i gotta tell you this i mean i know it shouldn't surprise us because let's be honest bad batch is essentially clone wars season eight right and clone wars itself was pretty was uh, was pretty brutal but this i mean i was surprised that i was still I had the capacity to be shocked when she did that. I said, oh, my God, you know? So bravo to this show for really going there and taking these chances. Well, and really letting Fennec Shan look like potentially she's evil, right? Because I think it was an important point because we know her not to be evil, evil, because so many of us watching the show have seen her already in The Mandalorian years later, right? So we go, oh, it's Fennec Shan. Like, this is great. You know, she'll she'll come around. And then she straight up kills this cop. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. She's not necessarily good. <laughs> well, look, I mean, even when we first saw her in The Mandalorian on Tatooine, she was ruthless. And she was horrifying. I mean, I, I she made me so nervous, you know, in that standoff with, uh, you know, in the dunes there. So I said, oh, my God. So when she comes around as an ally it still made me nervous. And even today, I'm. Uh, it, it makes me wonder what the book of Boba Fett is going to look like because, you know, the woman can go either way. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting if the book of Boba Fett's final chapter is the death of Boba Fett at the hands of Fennec Shand? Bite your tongue. <laughs> I've been waiting decades to get Boba Fett to do anything. And now when we finally get him, Yes, he's a little chubby, but he's just <laughs> as much of a badass as I'd hoped he was. <laughs> yes, he's a little chubby. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because I didn't expect him to be so big. And I know Tamara Morrison, he, he, he released a statement recently saying, you know, I've been waiting years for Disney to call. Okay, in that time, you couldn't have done a push-up, maybe? Like, I get that I'm not the thinnest guy ever, but I'm also not Boba Fett. I mean, for God's sake, buy buy a Bowflex and train in the. <laughs> well, you know, Jordan, I, I think I, I share similar genetics to Tamura Morrison uh, in that that region of the the globe, and uh, personally, I like seeing him the way he looks because it feels like more real to me. Like, oh yeah, 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 that's that's what he'd look like. Yeah, you know, he spent a bunch of time laying on his back, probably recovering from the Sarlacc pit, uh, of despair. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you don't get to exercise when you're recovering from severe trauma, you know? So, uh, just put on a few pounds, you know, laying up, uh, healing. I, I can see it. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, look, I, and I get, he's not about the looks. John Fett was very, um, vain. You know what I mean? He always had to make sure that his, uh, his outfit was pristine. Boba Fett repainted it once and he just didn't worry about it at all. You know, there's a chip in the arm or whatever. But, I mean, get yourself the Star Wars. I have to believe that the Star Wars universe has some sort of toupee or wig situation or press-on eyebrows that that Boba Fett can use to not look like a progeria kid. Because he (laughs) – I like the burnt look, but it really does look like he has alopecia. And it's a a tad (laughs) off-putting. Okay. Um, so then we get, you know, the usual chase sequence, like whatever, with the, with the exception of the, the killing of the cop, it was, it was your typical Star Wars, uh, jump from ship to ship kind of deal. Um, but what I, what I found interesting was when they, when they get Omega and they, they bring her back to the ship, she's like really surprised at being the target and, and it's like a shock when they say, well, you were the target, you know? And for me, it further emphasizes why I don't care for her character very much because 
her naivete kind of comes and goes to suit the plot. So when we first meet Omega, she like knows everything more than the rest of the clones do, you know, like she's a step ahead of them on everything. And now she's the completely naive child who is surprised to hear that she's the target after having been, you know, taken on this wild ride with this bounty hunter um, through the streets of, of Pentora. Uh, it, it doesn't work for me. Like from a storytelling perspective, she's doing the, the Amidala thing where she changes who she is to suit the plot. Good point. Good point. They, she is naive when they need her to be naive and she's a know-it-all when they need her to be a know-it-all. That's, that is a good point. It's a little weird. Plus I, yeah. After seeing the struggle, what did she think? How is she surprised that she's the target? There's no, you know what I mean? Like what? I, yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Silly. Silly. Like that was, that was lazy storytelling. Like uh, we need her to be surprised because we need a reaction shot here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need her to be sympathetic. You know, the, the kid who's out of, out of place, but you know, the whole first three episodes we meet her, she's constantly, ahead of the rest of those clones, knowing what's coming, picking up a blaster and saving their lives. Like, you know, a little consistency here, I think would, would go a long way for the character. I totally agree. I totally agree. Plus we already can't relate to her cause she has, she's got weird Palpatine hair and then she's got the weird jewel headpiece from the princess and never ending story. And it's like, can, <laughs> right. you just, can you just be my, it's not that she's not likable cause I do like her, but it, I, I, I need consistency. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. She's totally likable. It's just a question of like, is her character arc making any sense? And right now it's not making sense to me cause she's all over the map. And, and it's, and it really just started bugging me because it, it really is the same complaint I had when we did our rewatch of all the Star Wars films leading up to Rise of Skywalker. When we went through the original, or through the uh, prequel trilogy, so many trilogies, <laughs> we went through the prequel trilogy, um, it dawned on me in that rewatch that Amidala literally changes who she is from moment to moment just to suit the plot. At one time, she's the most intelligent person in the room. At the next moment, she's the person who can't, you know, can't put her shoes on straight without help. It, it's off-putting to have a character that that can't stay consistent through through the story. Change is fine, but change from scene to scene just to kind of help the other characters move along. You become, you know, a plot device moving character as opposed to a real person, and, and that bothers me. Yeah. So I yeah I, I hope that doesn't I hope they don't keep that up, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then my last note on the episode was: so is Fennec going to be the Bad Batch's Thrawn? Is she going to be the one chasing them around for the rest of the season? I hope so because I think it'd be fun to have her just purely be a thorn in their side the whole time. I I hope so too. And and the other thing I'm wondering is this: so she and Boba Fett. They don't make it clear if they already knew each other by the time that he saves her out in the desert. But I'm wondering, I, it would be interesting if she and Boba Fett, a very young Boba Fett, um, connected in this series. Because I'd love to see what Boba Fett's up to these days. Right? Because he was still a child when, when Django died. And, you know, not even big enough to wear that suit yet, really. <laughs> you know? Um who took him under their wing and, and taught him to become the bounty hunter that he became? Because it wasn't you know, his dad. His dad was starting to train him, but, you know, like. That and, and see, that's what's interesting. Him. Because in the books, it was Ara Singh that took him under his, uh, took him under her wing for a little while. Um, and I think they kind of touched on that in the Clone Wars. But then at a certain point, Boba Fett is running a gang um, composed of, seasoned bounty hunters and i don't quite i didn't quite understand why you know a tough guy like um you know like boss who's been at this for decades and and dengar would would defer to this child i mean is it the name i i know that boba fett you know in clone wars did a little prison time but i just don't understand what got that going that that was sort of off-putting to me but we do know that boba fett is seasoned by the time of bad batch 
Yeah, so maybe Fennec was one of the bounty hunters that took him under her wing. Because, you know, one of the things they do like to do is, like, take existing stories that were canon and are no longer canonical and kind of twist them a little bit and kind of recycle them in this new storytelling. Which I love. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where, where they go with, with Fennec in this series. Because they've got to have a good reason for having her there. It can't just be a cameo or two here and there. Like, and, and Filoni is, is really good at introducing characters one place and then really expanding their story over time, you know? Um, so I, I'm hoping that she just becomes more interesting, not less interesting as it goes along. You know, you nailed it. And, and, and I do have to say this about Filoni. Now that he has more solid control, I think that, um, you know, we're going to start to see more cohesion uh, because, you know, when Disney, when Clone Wars ended, I saw, I remember seeing a meme saying, even though Clone Wars is your favorite show, you're going to have to accept that it's never coming back. And I was so depressed. And then we got Clone Wars season seven and then we get Bad Batch. And Filoni himself has said, look, Bad Batch is because of the fans. We listened to what you wanted and we gave it to you. And Filoni is doing it right. So I have to believe that, you know, he will do as good a job on this as he did with the Clone Wars. And, and in light of that, I really do think that Fennec Shan is being set up as at first the big bad and then the occasional ally, maybe. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see um, how she develops and, and, and who hired her. Yeah, I, I have my was own it, theories on who hired her, actually. Kami Noans? No. You know, it's funny. I don't think so because it was the Kami Noans that let Omega escape, right? Knowing that someone in particular, not necessarily the Empire, but one individual really wants Omega. And I think I know who that individual is. Papa Palpatine? Damn right, because they share the same hairstyle, and I think Palpatine wants to find out what products Omega uses on her hair. Because Palpatine's hair is mostly burned off and looks like crap, but she <laughs> still has a very lustrous set, you know? Uh, Jordan, you always have the funniest perspective. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I would say this episode for me is a solid like 7 out of 10. Like, enjoyable, but not outstanding. I think that's fair. I think that's I think very mostly fair. because of the Omega stuff. Like, that, that Omega stuff where she's just super naive all of a sudden. And I get a little bit of naivete is one thing, but to be as naive as she is through this entire episode just really kind of made the episode a little bit off-putting for me. But... I liked Fennec Shand. I liked how the clones were dealing with the world around them. Um, having uh, uh, what's-his-name pretend to be a droid was hilarious. Um, I think they could have actually played that up a little bit longer and, and had some fun with it. But, uh, but I like how they're interacting with the world around them and they're learning as they go uh, kind of the ropes of, of living outside of the military, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And, and and I would have liked to have seen, just like you mentioned, I would have liked to have seen more as that guy, you know, try to pretend to be a droid. But that line that he gives him when when he when he gives him his money back and he goes, you got me for a bargain. What a great line that was. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I did like that the protocol droid was like, what? what? You're not a you're not a robot. Yeah, what a He's pain. Like, no. <laughs> can I can I tell you this though? What how adorable was that Ewok droid? That little guy with the little hands? Right. <laughs> I want him for my own. I want I want to own him. I want to keep him at my house. And I also want to emphasize my enjoyment of the Bad Batch for the fact that they brought back gonk droids. Um, yes. on a regular basis. Gonk, gonk, gonk. I love that sound. I love the little stupid feet. <laughs> and the fact that they just don't even hide the fact that they're made from a trash can like gonk droids are my favorite <laughs> you know what you're absolutely right they're they're 
Look, I, I always thought to myself, gonk droids must be useless, but that cannot be true because look at how many gonk droids we... Gonk droids are like the workhorse of the Star Wars universe. Without gonk droids, the entire universe would collapse and would revert back to its animal origins. But I still don't know what they do. <laughs> I just love that they exist. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. It's like that hammer that you find in your garage. You're like, I don't know where I got it. I'm glad I have it. I'm sure it'll Dad, Dad told me I had to have this in my toolbox. I still don't know what it does, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's here. I'd rather have it than not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, thanks, thanks for joining me again for uh, another week of uh, Bad Batch discussions, which are now being recorded for Sci-Fi Sunday version 2.0, our podcast uh, where we cover science fiction topics. Um, Loki starts in another couple of weeks. Uh, you going to be down for uh, doing episodes about that too, Jordan? Here's the thing. I am super excited about the Loki show. However, uh, I, I feel like I couldn't do it justice unless I watched every single Marvel film. And I think to do that correctly, it would take me about a decade. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure yet. <laughs> well, I, uh, I plan on doing this, uh, doing episodes on Loki um, going forward. So I hope you're a part of that if, uh, if you can, because just if for nothing else, you bring a lot of great color commentary. And that series, I think, especially is going to lend itself to a lot of humor. So, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And, and also, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you joined Clubhouse. And uh, if you're listening to our podcast, um, please join us on Clubhouse. We are Intellectual Chats. That's intellectual with an X because intellect is sexy. Um, we're intellectual chats on clubhouse. We, uh, we follow up the intellectual podcast episodes with follow-ups with our guests. We are doing these bad batch uh, reviews, uh, with Jordan, uh, for our sci-fi Sunday version 2.0 podcast. And, uh, hopefully we'll be doing, uh, Marvel content here pretty soon as well. Um, Jordan, again, thank you very much. Yasmin, thanks for joining us. And Whitney, thank you for joining us uh, when you could. And uh, we'll see you all again in a week. Yeah? Yeah. See you then. Until then, may the force be with you, Jordan. And also with you, David.